Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek and Wix.com. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of March 18th, 2019. This week's show should be a fun one. We'll be looking at Major League Baseball futures bets to see which players are good investments for the American League and National League MVP, which teams are most likely to go over or under their projected win totals, and the Chicago White Sox over-unders with our good friend Joe Ostrowski from 670 to score. Remember, you can make your own over-under picks on SoxMachine.com while you listen to this episode. And you guys also had a few questions for us, which we will tackle later in the show in P.O. Sox. But first, a couple of news items for the Chicago White Sox as they make a roster decision that will impact the 25-man roster. And Major League Baseball is looking to implement new rules that will possibly shake up on how the game is played. To discuss is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and Sweet 16 appearance in the Section 108 White Sox Twitter personality bracket, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Congrats on beating me. Oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> it was uh, pretty tight the whole day, I think. It was basically, you know, I saw I was hovering between 48 and 52, 53%, I think, the entire day. So we definitely split the vote. You smoked me. You could just say it. I smoked you. Blew you out. Oh, maybe like in presidential elections, <laughs> you know, or, 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 you know, four points or something like that is a big deal. But it was pretty tight all day. We didn't have the uh, massive... Uh, 
uh, bot army surface. <laughs> no, we didn't. I, I think our, our election or our vote was pretty clean. Yeah, I think we might have been the only clean one from what we are hearing. Uh, just a, a reminder that in society, we clearly are not allowed to have nice things uh, without people cheating. Uh, so that is uh, that's unfortunate uh, for those that were playing along. But anyways, thanks to the Section 108 guys. It's it's absolutely a lot of fun to be participating in these types of events. Uh, but let's get into some White Sox news here. The first news item the Chicago White Sox outrighted Juan Minaya to Charlotte. And this is big because it does open up a spot on the 25-man roster. James Fegan of The Athletic wrote about the move, highlighting the fact that Minaya had lost some velocity on his pitches, which could be the reason why this spring training Minaya had incredibly struggle, struggled and just really looked bad at times. He allowed 11 runs in four and two-thirds innings with 12 hits allowed and six walks. Jim, we talked about Minaya last week, and we talked about how last year in the second half, he really impressed for the White Sox coming out of the bullpen. But the velocity drop is concerning, and I can't argue with the White Sox decision. With Minaya out of the picture, who benefits the most to earn a spot in the White Sox 25-man roster? Well, it seems, uh, you know, if you're looking right-handed guys who can appear in the later innings, uh, I imagine that would be somebody like Ryan Burr, who's throwing the ball really well. Uh, James Fegan had a really good uh, article about him on The Athletic talking about how last year he struggled with the Major League Baseball, you know, getting snap on his sliders. He was, uh, you know, they're more, I guess, slow breakers or softer breakers and, and early and easy to read. And, and now he's got a bit more tilt on it, a bit more snap. Uh, also throwing a cutter uh, to to the surprise of few with a, uh, on a Don Cooper staff. Ivan Nova is also bringing back the cutter, so I think we're seeing a few more of those now. But uh, I think this is where you see the advantage of, of the White Sox offseason in, in acquiring Alex Colomay and Kelvin Herrera is that, you know, Manaya last year might have been the, you know, whether he's the first or second best reliever at the end of the year. Jace Fry might have had, uh, I think, uh, dibs for the top spot, but... After that, Manaya was basically it. So, uh, you know, bringing Kalame in, bringing Herrera in, uh, it takes the pressure off that Manaya spot and opens it up for somebody like Burr, you know, rookie who still has to prove that he can get major league hitters out. But uh, based on the way he's throwing so far in spring training, I think he stands a better shot at it. It'll be one of the, I wouldn't say rare, because we've seen it over the last couple of years. Like Jacob May, he had a very good spring training and won a position spot with the White Sox 25-man roster, was the starting center fielder. He couldn't hit. I don't think he did. Did he get a base hit? He did. I think he was 0 for 32 to start. Yeah. Okay, and then he did get one. Like, he had four RBIs, but he did not have a base hit. And I really wanted him to get to – I'm remembering this. I wanted him to get to five because I think that would have set a team record for most RBIs in a season for the Chicago White Sox without recording a base hit. I, I just remember like his primal scream when he got back to the dugout after recording the hit. Just everybody <laughs> was so happy for him. He was, uh, uh, it sounded like he got a lot off his uh, his shoulders and uh, didn't very, last very long after that, but at least he did get a batting average. Yeah, there you go. At least he has that for his Major League Baseball career. But like with Ryan Burr, I mean, we weren't expecting him to make the 25-man roster but sometimes in spring training, I know the stats, we, we want to ignore them because they're not going to translate over to the regular season. But if somebody's impressive like Ryan Burr, it's kind of satisfied. I guess I'm satisfied, Jim, to see that guys can still earn a spot 
on the 25-man roster based on how well they perform in spring training, and it's not automatically given to veterans. Yeah, I think it's fair to kind of use it in, in this situation as a tiebreaker. You know, if you have a bunch of guys who are, you know, fairly equivalent in uh, status and accomplishments and, and, and major league stuff, you know, maybe Ian Hamilton would have gotten one of those mm-hmm. opportunities if he did not uh, shown up and, and had the uh, car accident early on that, that caused some shoulder stiffness. Uh, but without him in the mix, Burr, I think, you know, Dylan Covey is another one. Um, but I think Covey doesn't really miss bats the way that Burr can, at least with the stuff he's showing right now. Covey, you know, he's not going to really, he's more contact based and he's going to get a lot of grounders. So he's somebody who's better fit for, you know, I would say sixth inning work, uh, long relief, that kind of thing. Whereas Burr, at least the way he's throwing now and the way he throw in the minors before, you know, getting a different baseball and learning how to throw breaking balls with it, uh, Somebody who can strike out guys, um, you know, maybe one an inning. So I think that's what the White Sox are hoping for and seems first in line. But I think, you know, if he doesn't get the first, uh, uh, yeah, if he doesn't make the most out of this opportunity, number of guys in line to take that spot behind him. Uh, Zach Thompson's another guy who's throwing the ball really well to start out. He's not in the 40-man roster, so I think you got to go through the 40-man guys first. But... I think should the White Sox be in a position where they're rotating through these guys and you know needing to send them down and bring up a fresh arm, there are a number of guys who can uh, can work in this situation. Hamilton, Jose Ruiz is another one mm-hmm. who can show up and you know stand a chance of not embarrassing themselves. Well, there's going to be more news items for the Chicago White Sox. As we enter in one of the final weeks of spring training, manager Rick Renteria had told White Sox beat reporters that he may he may decide who will be starting opening day for the Chicago White Sox. I'm assuming it's going to be Carlos Rodon. Could it be anyone else, Jim? Either him or Lopez. And, hmm. and, and you know, based on Lopez, you know, throwing more innings than Rodon's ever thrown in the season, I think I would give it to him. But Rodon being the veteran and I guess being the tone setter of the rotation and, and being, I suppose, the, who everybody looks up to uh, probably will be the guy. I like I kind of like the idea of Ronaldo Lopez now that you mention it. That would be uh that'd be kind of intriguing. But again, my pick is Carlos Rodon that Renteria will go with for opening day. The other is what Dr. James Andrews has to say about Dane Dunning's elbow as this has been a lingering issue during spring training and while he's in throwing program, he felt a pain in his throwing elbow again. And for me, Jim, I'm just bracing for the worst when it comes to Dunning. If he needs Tommy John surgery, this is a blow for Dunning's development because he's already missed a half of baseball and then tack on another year of missing baseball. Uh, that mm-hmm. that really thwarts as far as a development path for Dane Dunning and when he can realistically help the Chicago White Sox, if ever. I guess the good news is that he's had a relatively smooth ascent. Um, you know, it's not like somebody like uh, uh, Alec Hansen, who had a really rocky time in, in Oklahoma and then you know, burst out of the gate with the Sox his first one and a half years and then had a major <laughs> setback, uh, just a lost season. Uh, Dunning hasn't had one yet. It's been pretty smooth up the ladder, rung by rung, even last year. Uh, he at least got to Birmingham and showed he could... Uh, thrive in double a before getting shut down so at least he he checked that off his list so it wasn't a lost year he does have an opportunity i guess in his development to lose one year um but as as we've seen just it's 
uh, once there is one lost year, then it, it's really, you got to make the most of, of uh, you know, what's ahead. Otherwise, it's really hard to put them in plans as, as the White Sox rebuild hopefully you know, actually sticks and, and turns into a contender. Yeah, let's brace for the worst when it comes to Dunning's news, but uh, hope for the best that he does. He can avoid Tommy John, and he just needs to go through some additional rest and rehab when we still see him pitch in 2019. Now that's for the White Sox news. Let's move over to Major League Baseball as Major League Baseball is implementing new rules both for the 2019 and 2020 season. Here are the new rules for this upcoming season. Commercial breaks, Jim, are going from two minutes and five seconds for local broadcasts to two minutes. All right. National broadcasts will go from two minutes and 25 seconds to two minutes. So you only get two minutes during commercial breaks of baseball games to go to the bathroom, grab a beer from the fridge, whatever. The other rule is that there's only one trade deadline now. No more August 31st deadline deals like the White Sox trading Miguel Gonzalez, Adam Dunn, or Gordon Beckham. It's July 31st. That is the trade deadline, July 31st or nothing. All-star voting will change. Mountain visits will be reduced from six in a game to five. The rule changes for 2020, and this is what got people really talking about these rule changes. The first one is pitchers who enter the game must face a minimum of three batters. The injured list, which again, remember, replaces the disabled list, will go from 10 to 15 days. And Major League rosters will expand from 25 to 26 players with a maximum of 13 pitchers. Sorry, Rick Renteria. And September rosters, though, will be limited to just 28 players. So, Jim, out of all of these rules, the biggest outcry from this week was the pitchers having to face a minimum of three batters next year. I find this rule a bit hard to enforce and comes with some natural loopholes. I do like the 25-man roster being increased to 26 men, but I do not like limiting the September rosters to 28 players because I think this cuts out opportunities for prospects. And I'm good with the one trade deadline, but I wish it was delayed by two more weeks to mid-August when teams have a better idea if they are truly in playoff contention. Those are my thoughts. What are your thoughts about the new rules? Which ones you like? Which ones you don't like? Okay, well, I guess we'll uh, start by throwing out the ones that I think won't make much of a difference. Commercial time, at least in local games, you really won't feel that. It's it's five seconds, Jim. How will you not feel five seconds? <laughs> I think it will make a difference in national games. I think that can add up. Uh, so, so there's that, but yeah, the White Sox really don't play a national game, so we won't feel that personally. <laughs> uh, six visits of five. Uh, I think six visits got the job done in terms of breaking bad habits for catchers to make multiple mound visits in an inning and, and just get carried away like Joe Maurer, you know, it was famous for. Didn't see many of those guys, uh, even Kevin Smith, uh, before they instituted, instituted the mound visit rule. He took advantage of that and the freedom and, and made a lot of trips to the mound. And I, I think that broke the habits just having uh, this count. And so I think six to five really won't make much of a difference. So there's that. Uh, the waiver deal, uh, I can see it working both ways. I can see it um, making a big difference uh, and, and making teams either pony up or, or at least try to make smaller 
additions. Um, you might see more, I guess, nominal trades, uh, the kind of August trades happening in late July for teams that feel like they might have a chance and might want to shore up a spot, but really don't want to invest much in it. I can see those deals being made like Miguel Gonzalez types happening a bit earlier. I can also see in August where a team like the White Sox, like if they don't need Miguel Gonzalez, like they did with Derek Holland, just cutting him, letting him go. And, uh, and maybe there isn't really a trade, but a team is able to take a veteran that a rebuilding team or a team that wants to give playing time to younger guys uh, doesn't need and then throwing them on their roster. So it's kind of like a waiver trade, but without the cash considerations or, you know, lottery ticket a ball player that comes with it. So, you know, that might not make much of a difference in the long run. So I guess I'm not overacting that one too much, even though I think it, you know, we could play out quite differently just based on um, one deadline being a rather dramatic transformation. Uh, Three batters, I I guess I'd rather see it two. (laughs) It seemed to be the, uh, I guess, sensible way is just to go from one batter to two batter because I think that is ultimately how it breaks down is just that second batter and and, and forcing the manager to make uh, that kind of decision. I think the one batter I've seen it, uh, I think Ben Lindbergh talked about, Joe Sheehan has talked about it, how those one batter appearances really haven't, uh, uh, they've they've dropped off over the the, uh, whole of the league. Uh, not being such a factor anymore, but the White Sox, you know, watching them and watching Rick Renteria, especially like in late July, early August, like that three-week period where he was using four relievers in inning, maybe every other game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think uh, uh, should cut down on that and and make it more watchable or make it harder to watch in a good way where action's happening. But I think Ben Lindbergh uh, in the Ringer article I linked to on Sunday put it best where he said that this is really just the league letting teams know that it's noticing that the product is getting a little harder to watch. And and while none of these things, you know, the the mound visits, the commercial time, the, uh, you know, the the three better minimum, you know, maybe none of those will make that big of a deal in terms of uh, hastening the game or creating more offense. It's just a way to show that, you know, we've seen this product get a little harder to watch as teams get more, scientifically evolved and figure out um, ways to work the system in their favor, even if it's uh, in the uh, not in the interest of fans or watchability. And I think the league is trying to stand as a proxy for fans and writers and just make it a more interesting product. And I'm not convinced it'll work, but I, I, I don't hate any of these changes um, as long as they can be undone. <laughs> if the three uh, batter roll, whether it's your know, loopholes or whether it's a, uh, um, yeah, or whether it just doesn't come up that much, uh, especially since the end of the inning, you know, might be, you might see these one better appearances at the end of the inning, get a third out and it's basically like nothing changed. So, uh, I, I, none of these seem worthy of overreaction without, without seeing them play out. And I think if it does play out to be a, just a mess, as long as they can be undone in just one odd year where this, this rule happened, um, I think it's worth trying. Yeah. The loophole that I'm, talking about is the situation in which let's say in the eighth inning uh jace fry comes in and he gets that inning completes it and then a lefty starts the ninth inning and he gets that lefty out so he's faced four batters and then rick renteria wants to bring in like let's say kelvin herrera to close out the game can he do that because there's only two outs remaining and there's a chance that he may only face two batters will that 
not allow Renteria to do that? That's the loophole that I'm talking about. You mean like uh, that's... So you had Fry already facing three batters? Yeah, Fry, yeah, Fry got four outs. He got the eighth and he got the first out on the ninth because he's a left-handed batter. I think end of game would be treated as end of inning. Okay, so that's so that that's where it's like a little bit weird that a lot of people were really upset about this rule, but I, that's why I just say like, yeah, there's a minimum of a three batters, but there's loopholes in this. Yeah, and so well, I think the bigger loophole might be, and, and I've I've seen you know people bring this up with injuries. Uh, uh, a pitcher says he's got a forearm cramp or a blister, and then uh, you know walks off the mound, comes back the next day, and says like, oh, it's just a cramp. Oh, it's just uh, skin's fine. I can pitch again the next day. But I think the league will be on the lookout for that. You might see some, yeah, maybe one or two cases of it. But I think that the league will be policing it enough to where. It will be discouraged in a hurry if they sense that there's some kind of pattern happening. So that might be the one where a team tests it, but it doesn't really stick. But uh, some of these rules were poorly written out, like the two-way player one. Uh, we're talking about like 20, well, they say 20 innings to be a two-way player, like a declared two-way player or uh, yeah, the margin of victory before a position player can pitch. Um some of these were kind of confusingly written out and I'd, I'd like to see a second draft of it <laughs> to kind of better understand exactly how it's going to work. Oh, the roster limits. That's the other thing I didn't mention. Um, 26. I, I, it's a little bit sad that it has to be 26 because I think eight pitchers is unnecessary. Uh, and, and I'd hope that the, the, you know, three batter minimum makes teams use fewer than eight pitchers, uh, you know, over the course of a week or two, uh, when you're looking at the season. So I'd hope it wouldn't be necessary. 25 is just a nice number, and it's been that way forever. So it's kind of sad to go away from that. But I do like the idea of a bigger bench, an offensive specialist or base running specialists or defensive specialists being accommodated versus having like a guy like Leury Garcia necessary because he plays seven positions and uh, you know the, these guys who can stand anywhere in the field but might not provide like the one-dimensional awesomeness of somebody like Daniel Polka coming off the bench. Uh, I'd like to see you know the pinch hitter be a bigger deal and bench power be a thing and bench speed be a thing. And so I, I like the idea of that. Yeah, I just don't like the idea of limiting the September rosters to 28 players because if you have 26 guys, then you can only add two. And that really prevents giving four to maybe six prospects an opportunity to get a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit sad. Um However, you know, maybe at the 26th spot, if there's more rotation based on what teams need at that point and having more bench spots available, maybe players get their cup of coffee that way. But it will be a blow to uh, Ted's uh, Sporkle Saturdays, just uh, not having as many obscure names <laughs> rotating through. Yeah. Sorry, Ted. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. Well, Jim and I will reconvene later in the show for P.O. Socks, as you guys had plenty of questions for us this week. But coming up next, it's time to make some over-under decisions with our good friend Joe Ostrowski on the Socks Machine podcast. A quick word from our sponsor, Wix.com. Let's say you run a small business or thinking about launching one, or you have a big event upcoming like a wedding, or maybe you want to get your voice heard and decide to launch your own blog or podcast. You'll need a website to help launch, and there is no better place to get started than at Wix.com. 
Over 140 million people use Wix for their website because it's easy to get started and publish for free. You can choose from 500 stunning templates, or if you have some design chops, you can make your own from scratch. With built-in SEO tools, you can get your website found online easily on Google, and every site is automatically optimized for any device, whether you're looking at it from a PC or mobile device. Wix even has built-in tools like storage, custom domains, custom email addresses, marketing tools, and e-commerce. With a dedicated support team, Wix can help you launch a complex website to help you run your entire business or a simple place for you to share your talents to the world. Whatever you are dreaming of, you'll need a website, and Wix can help. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash podcast to get 10% off when you upgrade your site. Major League Baseball regular season starts next week as the Oakland Athletics and Seattle Mariners travel to Japan for the league's opening day. Opening day for the Chicago White Sox is still Thursday, March 28th at Kansas City, which is only 10 days away which means it's prediction time as we play White Sox over-unders for the 2019 season. You can play along at SoxMachine.com as we'll be giving away a swag pack to the fan with the most correct guesses at the end of the season. So no better time to get your friendly wagers in with your buddies, your bookie, or find yourself in Vegas or Atlantic City for the 2019 Major League Baseball season. And to help us sort out the best bets, is our good friend of the podcast. You can hear him on 670 The Score in the mornings with Mully and Haw and his own show, Early Odds, on Saturday mornings, wherever you listen to podcasts as well. It's Joe Ostrowski. And hello, Joe. Thanks for coming back on the show. Of course, Josh. Oh, great time of the year. And uh, for now, I'm not going to complain about the early start with MLB. Helps us get through spring a little bit quicker. And uh, even though we'll be starting the year over in Japan early in the morning, I'm just fine with it. But uh, I'm sure in a couple weeks we'll be saying, why aren't they playing in only warm cities with all these games being canceled once again? <laughs> what are and they why doing? are there Friday off days? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll find things to complain about because that's what baseball fans do. Of course. But, you know, I tell anyone that ever asks me, which are your favorite podcasts to listen to? And I always mention your show, Early Odds. And now it's a radio show on 670 The Score which is super awesome. Big congrats to you. How has that been going? Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm always into trying something a little bit different. And even though I'm used to talking about sports betting all the time, just over the air, the audience isn't quite used to it. But uh, all of the feedback I've heard has been great. People want more and more of it. And as we get closer and closer to legalization in this state, which I think will happen somewhere around May or June, um, there is going to be more and more of it, and hopefully uh, people don't push back too much where it's where some you know TV and radio broadcasts try to just shove it in your face all the time. But I think it's a good thing, and even, even if you aren't a better, taking a look at the market and where numbers are set, you can walk away learning a few things. Now, with the possible legalization of betting in the state of Illinois coming – uh, either in 2019 or I listened to your show maybe at the latest early 2020. You know, one of my favorite things to do is bet live during baseball games, especially 
live betting on over-under runs in an inning. If you think a run will be scored in a particular inning, you could place a bet on that game. I like doing this in the 6th and 7th innings when the transition from starting pitcher, who might be facing a lineup third time, or a reliever, which we know that it's not the best relievers coming out of the bullpen in the 6th or 7th innings, that you can make some good money. But as Jim and I just discussed about the new Major League Baseball rules, Joe, uh, this new minimum must-face three batters for relievers, I feel could have an impact on how Vegas or any sports book handles live betting. Uh, how do you think it will impact live betting? Josh, are you admitting to the Sox machine audience that you were betting against the White Sox last year? <laughs> <laughs> because we you knew what was happening. Someone's got to make money, you knew man. Every single time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's all about. Right. Um, so, you know, the headline was obviously about uh, of the changes. What don't we like? And what most, most baseball fans do not like are the possible ramifications of each pitcher being forced to face three batters. I honestly don't think we're going to get there. Maybe I'm wrong. And this happens in 2020. Manfred gets what he wants, but I don't think it's going to happen. Now they're hiding behind pace of play, pace of play. That's what he says every time. Let's be real. They understand that this isn't going to help pace of play a ton. Sure, there will be more action a little bit. And guess what? They're going to get more offense too, which will be longer games. So then you have the the complaints about the pace of play. Um, Of course, my first thought was your old left-handed loogies kind of away, right? Like uh, Zach Duke or Boone Logan for years and years over on the South side. So I, I, you wonder what happened there. And the interesting part to me was for this season, they're increasing the rosters. So it feels like there's give and take. Okay. If you're eliminating one position on a roster, well, you got to give us something else. So they're allowing them to expand the rosters in the year prior. So maybe this does end up going through for a lot of the live betting going on in various offshore sites or books out in Vegas or New Jersey, they use algorithms for the live betting because it would be so tough with all the games going on for a human to constantly make adjustments from batter to batter and from pitch to pitch. So I don't think early on, if this happens, there'll be too much of an adjustment, but betters are always looking for that little edge, that little advantage And I think you do have a little edge if you know teams well enough. If you're looking ahead, okay, he's not coming in to face one guy. Look at the next three guys and look at the splits or the historical matchups with this pitcher and this batter. So I think a lot of betters are going to be more willing to bet. And you you always go to money, right? Everything leads back to the dollars. Don't forget Baseball is in bed with betting now. They have that deal with MGM. You better believe that MGM is going to be the property out in Vegas that gets those lineups before anybody else, before the commissioner's office. So I think baseball also knows that this is going to increase betting, which is also a good thing. It increases fan engagement, and fans are going to be more involved. So in the beginning, I don't think there's going to be an over-adjustment if it happens, because you'll have to face three batters. But I think the fans watching closely that understand their teams are going to be more willing to place a wager. 
Now let's look over the betting picks for all of Major League Baseball before we get to the White Sox over-unders. And obviously for fans, there's two popular picks, picking MVP candidates and picking over-under total wins. Let's start with the National League and American League MVP. Which are some of your favorite betting picks, Joe, to earn these awards? And we'll start with the National League MVP. All right, good, because I I feel much better about the National League side. And what do voters usually do? They like to mix it up. They don't like to vote for the same guy again and again. Over the last five years, that's 10 MVP awards. Nine different guys have earned the awards. So I don't look at repeats as much of an option at all. I'll talk about this team a bunch over the the next little bit here during our conversation, Josh, but uh, I, I think the Nationals are in for a monster season. And the question is, with Bryce Harper gone, which player is going to step up and be viewed as the best player on possibly the best team? Juan Soto didn't get the Rookie of the Year award, but as a 19-year-old in limited time, 116 games, he had 22 homers and on base of over 400. And all the reports that I've heard, and I'm not trying to buy too much into the spring training stories, because uh, I, I was set on Soto as MVP early on, but everything I've heard, like that guy is already stepping up as a big-time leader in the clubhouse. And, and maybe you don't want to read too much into it because it usually comes down to the numbers. But let's remember the human element here, that humans are making these votes. And it isn't always just war in some of the stats when it comes down to it with some of the older voters. But I love Juan Soto. I, I talked about it on early odds when he opened at 40 to 1. Money's coming in on Soto. He's down to 30 to 1. And even at 30 to 1, I still think there's some value. And looking on the American League side, I, I always hesitate a little bit. I did call last year Mookie Betts when he was 25 to 1, but you hesitate because if Trout gets a full season, it's going to be my Trout. It should be Trout. He's sitting there at even money. But there was a name that popped to me, and the number is looking better, probably because so much is coming in on Trout. And I go to the superstar in Houston, Alex Bregman. He's gone from 12 to 1 up to 18 to 1, so he's not getting much action. In his second full season, he, his numbers improved across the board. Strikeouts went down, walks went up, his isolated power went from 191 to 246. His fan graphs war was 7.6, and, and that's not a guy. That, that gets a lot of help on those numbers from the defense. But Alex Bregman at 18-1, to 1, I think that's a pretty solid pick. Looking at steamer projections, uh, this past week, Tango Tiger, who now works for MLB Advanced Media, uh, put out a study on which projections do the best job of projecting hitters. And steamer is the best public resource. Mm-hmm. And for the National League... It is a virtual tie on projection on projected wins above replacement. It is Chris Bryant, Manny Machado, and Corey Seager, which I find very interesting in the National League. I, I think I love the Juan Soto. You put ten bucks on Juan Soto to win the MVP and get three hundred dollars back. I mean that is an awesome bet. Uh, but <laughs> I think it's anyone's game in the National League. I totally agree with you, Joe. In the American League, if Mike Trout is healthy. It's going to be Trout. But it's worth putting 10 bucks on Alex Bregman as well because we know on how talented this guy is. Uh, and he's also due to be a superstar. 
Uh, I love those two picks. Let's move over to over under total win picks. This is where I typically. What about Aloy? Aloy one hundred to one. Nothing. No, we'll get to Aloy in a moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, my where I put most of my money for futures is over under total wins. And okay. what I do, Joe, is I take the projections. I take Davenport, Dakota. Zips and Steamer now combined to one projection model for Fangraph. So I've got three different projection models for standings coming to the season. I average those out, and then I compare them to what Westgate out in Vegas has put out for its sports book. So when you look at the over-under total win picks, let's start with the over. Who do you think are the three most likely candidates to overachieve in 2019 based on the Vegas projected wins. All right, let's start with the Nationals since I already talked about Juan Soto. They might be the best or second best team in the National League, and I don't think they're going to miss Harper much. At a meeting, hopefully he can finally stay healthy, but it isn't Soto. You have Rendon. He's going to be an NL MVP candidate, I think, in his contract year. Um, if they don't end up working out extension, Victor Robles, we know about the starting staff. When, when you talk about Patrick Corbin and Annabelle Sanchez off the year that he had as being in the middle to back of the rotation, we know how strong you are. So at 89, I like the over. This is a 90-win team. Uh, according to Pythagorean uh, last year, they should have won 90 games, but they only finished 82 and 80 I love this Nationals team. I, I, I'm probably going to take some, uh, take some money and put them to win the World Series at 12 to one. So 89 and a half. I love it. It's a pretty good division, but I, I think that's a strong pick. I'm staying in the National League for another over, and I'm looking to the LA Dodgers. And if it's not the Nats, I think this is going to be the best team out there. Uh, 92 wins a year ago. They put the number at 93, and I don't love this division. I think San Diego still has some time before they're there competing for a playoff spot. Arizona should be sellers. San Francisco, I expect to have a rough year in Bruce Bochy's uh, last season, his farewell year. But where's the weakness on the Dodgers? They add Pollock. You mentioned Seager healthy for a season. And then you end up forgetting about guys like Max Muncy. And, oh, yeah, they still have that Justin Turner guy. They have one of the better closers around, and Walker Buehler won't have an innings restriction this season. So Dodgers over 93 is pretty good. And I'm going to stay in the NL for my third pick, too. Uh, I'm thinking the Cardinals are going to win the NL Central with all of the additions that they have with Goldschmidt and to see what Ozuna is going to do this year. We know about the great rotation, one through five. Uh, setting that number at 88, even though that's a very deep division, the NL Central, I think that's a little light. They're a 90-win team to me at the very least. I'll go Cardinals, Nationals, and Dodgers over. All right. Mine, based on this projection model, Cincinnati. Cincinnati's projected win total is 82 wins. Vegas has them at 78.5. That is the biggest Mm. difference between projected win total and Vegas. Two, a surprise, Arizona Diamondbacks are projected – for 78 and a half wins, Vegas has them at 75 and a half. And I think this is a really risky one. The Seattle Mariners 
<laughs> are projected for 77 wins. Vegas has them at 74 and a half. So the biggest differences, the top three between the projection systems and Vegas is the Reds, Diamondbacks, and Mariners. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is into the projection systems. And if they don't go over, Joe, it's not my fault. It's Matt's fault. Anyways. <laughs> Good luck, Josh. Thank uh, you. you know, <laughs> is, okay, here's what I like about it. You didn't just go right to the top and you didn't go all the way to the bottom with some of the low win totals. You, you pick in the middle. And I, I know a lot of people that use that strategy. So it could work. Um, I disagree with one of them. We'll get to that in a moment. Sure. So let's go with unders. Who are your three teams that you're going to go under for total wins in 2019? Milwaukee Brewers under 86 and a half. They're a big time regression candidate. I know we've been saying it for years, but I'm still not buying that rotation. And don't tell me that Christian Yelich is going to be that guy again. Because I don't think that is possible. <laughs> In the the very difficult decision, you mentioned Cincinnati coming up. They aren't that team that you're just going to crush. And there isn't a celebration every time the Reds are in town anymore. They're pretty good. They actually have a professional staff. Uh, Milwaukee under 86 and a half. And in the NL West, I will look to San Diego. There was an overreaction with the Machado signing in my mind. Um, It went up two wins after he landed with the pods. They have a bright future, but it's a little early. It went from 76.5 up to 78.5. Now, a year from now, I might be saying the Padres are a good overbet, but for this year, I'm going to say under 78.5. And then the disagreement, Josh, is on Arizona. This might be one of the worst teams in the National League. And what's interesting, based on the people I talked to out in Vegas uh, at the Westgate, they said that. They adjusted everything on the Diamondbacks because there's a group that they trust. They call them a sharp group that has a history of winning bets. And they got down on everything Arizona. They bet them on over on the win total, over on the NL pennant, and to win the World Series. So they adjusted all of their numbers based on this one group. And I don't see it. At the single trade deadline around July 31, I can see this is a team that really sells off, and they don't have much over the last couple months of the season. It's weak division. I don't think they're going to compete. Maybe they shock me, and they're the second-best team. They're up there fighting for a wild-card spot, but I'm not buying it. I'm going under 75.5. That's another win total that went up a couple of wins based on the action. It went from 73.5 to 75.5, but I'm going under D-backs under Padres, under Brewers. The projection models agree with you on the Brewers and Padres that both teams will be under Vegas. Right now, the Brewers are projected for 84 wins and the Padres are projected for just 77 wins. My three unders, this is going to make a lot of folks mad. Number one, the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs are only projected using three models to win 84 games. And the over-under is 88.5. I have a feeling this year could be the fried chicken and beer year that Epstein suffered through in Boston. Oh! Uh, with this is the final year in the Cubs. There's just too much drama going on with the Chicago Cubs. And I do think it will be distraction. Plus, the division is much tougher this year. I am green with the computer systems 
when they say that the Cubs are looking at a third-place team in the National League Central. So I'm going under on the Cubs. I am going under on the Boston Red Sox, the defending world champions. Vegas has them at 95 and a half wins. The projection models think the Red Sox will win 91 games in 2019. Still a good season. Uh, however, they did not address the bullpen at all. And I think the New York Yankees are stronger. And I think the Tampa Bay Rays will be quite good this year. The Blue Jays have some interesting prospects. They could steal some games. It'll be much tougher for the Red Sox in 2019 than it was in 2018. And the third, the Chicago White Sox. (laughs) I don't know why Vegas, I do not know why Vegas has the White Sox at 74 and a half wins. They love them. The projection models say 71. And I don't understand why they love them because there's not a single projection system that even suggests that the White Sox will come close to 74 wins. They're projected for 71 wins. Yeah, you may remember about a month ago I spoke with Randy Blum, who set all these numbers at Westgate, yep. and they're they're big on the prospects. They love the White Sox prospect. I'll, I'll get into a little bit more on the Sox when we talk about the Sox win total for this year. But you know what you just threw out there, Josh? What you threw out there was if it's the chicken and beer year for the Cubs, Madden fired, maybe in season, and then he goes to the south side and take Rick Perintria's job again. <laughs> oh gosh, deja vu, man, deja vu. Yeah, I here. I'll, I'll, if you could find a sports book that let me bet, twenty twenty Chicago Cubs manager David Ross. I think that's the easiest bet in the world right yeah. now. It just seems like he's groomed for this position. Yeah, so I'm not trying to be a Cubs hater. I know that's a very typical, stereotypical thing, you know, White Sox fans hating on the Cubs, but there's just too much drama going on with the Chicago Cubs. And also the National League Central is incredibly tough. I think if the Cubs were in the American League Central, they probably win the Central by 25 games. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think that's how bad the AL Central the is. I'm selling the Indians too, but not that much. If you like our total win picks or want to wager some money on who will win the American League and National League MVPs, you got to use betonline.ag. That's where I go to play secure bets online on games as it's easy to deposit and they pay out quickly. BetOnline has all of the MOB props ready for you to play. If you like placing bets on who will hit the most home runs in Major League Baseball this year, I like Chris Davis at 10-1. to 1. You can place... Those bets right now before the regular season starts. Plus, March Madness is here. Everyone fills out a bracket, and you can win more on Bet Online as their interface makes it easy to place live bets when you know the momentum is going to turn in a game. With multiple games daily, get your game on with betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash machine and use promo code CLNS50 for 50% sign-up bonus. You deposit 100 bucks, you get a $50 bonus. How awesome is that? Again, go to clnsmedia.com slash machine and use promo code CLNS50 for that 50% cashback bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So let's move over now to one of my favorite segments of the season. It is White Sox over unders. Again, you guys can participate at SoxMachine.com. The fan that has the most correct picks out of all the over unders gets a awesome Sox Machine swag bag that does include our pretty sweet pint glasses that Jim made. 
And uh, this is just a handful from that list. We're not going to go through them all. Uh, I picked four I thought were the most intriguing for hitters and four on the pitching side. So, Joe, let's get started, and we'll start with Jose Abreu at 27.5 home runs in 2019. Are you going to go over or under for Abreu? Yeah, there was a bit of a power dip in 2018 as he's starting to approach his mid-30s. But the home run total went down because it was just missed games. I think if he gives you a full year, he probably is much closer to the higher 20s here. And I'll, and I'll bank on him staying healthy. And I think he does bounce back a little bit here. And he'll get to the 28 win number at the very least. So I'm going to say Jose Abreu over. And that is something just to, to keep in mind. When you're betting overs, just always remember – you you better expect a full season for when you're talking about some of these counting stats uh, like home runs, if that's what you're placing a wager on. You, that's part of it. Now, it, a lot of times if they're going to miss a few weeks or a month counting stats, they're going to miss the number, and that's the advantage to taking the under. But I'm going over 27 and a half. I agree with you. I think Abreu will find a way to get to 30 home runs in 2019, so I'm going to take the over on for Yuan Mikata, the over-under is 184 and a half. And no, this is not base hits. It is strikeouts. <laughs> Will Yuan Mikata strike out more than 184 times in 2019, Joe? Or will he strike out fewer than 184 times in 2019? Zips has the strikeout total at 208. So fewer, <laughs> but still a lot. Uh, I don't like to look at what's going on in March, but it's worth noting that at the time of this recording that Nakata has struck out 10 times in 27 ABs. So I think Nakata is going to fly over 184 and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. I think 200 strikeouts is in in reach again. Uh, It's obviously something to keep an eye on because this is an area that he definitely needs to improve upon. Um, but I, I'm I'm just not seeing. I agree with you. In spring training, he may just be a guy who strikes out 30% of the time. And uh, the, the one aspect of this that you should keep in mind is do you think there's any way that he is sent down? Because then he probably goes under, but I don't think that's the case. He needs to play at the major league level. That you know, I heard some people bringing that up last season. Yeah, I, Mikado will play the entire 2019 season. They, they, they have no choice. If they ever send Mikata down for non-injury reasons, I think that is the front office admitting that they had lost the Chris Sale deal. That yeah. this that things are not going well at all. So no, I don't. I I won't even consider the idea. Let me put it that way, Joe. That Mikata gets sent down <laughs> for non-playing reasons, but I do think Mikata in a full year will strike out more than 185 times in 2019. Now. Let's move over to someone we are very excited to see eventually in 2019, and that's Eloy Jimenez. And the number is 125 and a half. And that is the number of games played with the Chicago White Sox in 2019 for Eloy Jimenez. Are you going with the over, Joe, or the under? I knew this was going to be on the list, and this seems like a very conservative number to me. This better be over better be because <laughs> if he's not up by may i mean come on and and if there's another injury 
to a top White Sox prospect and it happens to be a loy and he misses time because of that, I think that'll be just too much for the South side to handle. It better be way over 125 and a half. I'm actually going to take the under. I, I, oh, my God. I, I have a feeling he's going to be. I think he's going to be around 120, Joe. I think he'll be in 120 games in 2019, which is still a significant amount. Uh, I, I've just I saw the number that Zips put out there, and uh, I th- I'm taking slightly under. I'm going 120 on the amount of games we see in Eloy Jimenez with the White Sox in 2019. I agree with you. It should be like 160, <laughs> but I, I think uh, it'll be like 120. Uh, I, okay. What are you saying? What are you projecting? Are you just saying the White Sox are going to mess around and, and make the argument that he's not ready? Of course. Of course. Okay. Here's my fear, okay? Let's say he struggles in Charlotte in April. Will Super 2 come into play? <laughs> Will they wait until mid-June? Yeah, I don't think he's sure. He made things easy on them. There was absolutely zero pressure on the White Sox. We all knew what was going to happen. He was going to be sent to Charlotte to start the season. So it wasn't a big shock when that was announced last week. But because of his struggles, it put zero pressure on them. But, man, I I don't see how he's down there more than a few weeks. He'll rake against Charlotte. But if he is struggling, fair point. If, If numbers are comparable to what he was not doing out in Arizona, yeah, they're going to keep him down. They're not going to say, hey, okay, now you're ready. Now face tougher competition while you're going through these issues. They, they always repeat it. Force our hand. Force our hand. Make us promote you. So if he does struggle, yeah, you're right. He'll stay down. Yeah. I don't think that will be the case. I agree with you. I still have April 15th, Monday night against the Kansas City Royals as Eloy Jimenez's debut with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, but, you know, injuries do come up. I mean, he doesn't have the greatest hamstrings. He has nagging injuries where he'll miss a couple weeks, or even like last year he missed a month. So we'll see. I, I'm going under on 125 and a half, but I, I am rooting for the way over in this because it'll make 2019 much more enjoyable if Eloy Jimenez is in the lineup Every single day. The last one on the hitters is Tim Anderson. And this is 20 and a half stolen bases. And when Tim Anderson joined the White Sox, I thought for sure this could be a guy who would steal between 30 to 40 stolen bases a year. But he doesn't run as often as someone you think would with the type of speed that he has on the base paths. So do you think Anderson will have more than 20 stolen bases in 2019, Joe? Or are you taking the under? Well, he was actually, with 26 last year, if you remove the Kansas City Royals, it just continued to run and run and run. He was sixth in the American League. So in an era where the stolen base has gone away because a lot of the metrics say the upside just isn't there to move ahead 90 feet, as some teams go away from this, we have Rick Renteria, right? He's a little old school. He's still only on the bunting Let's get the extra base, and I don't have a problem with that a lot of the time. Just when the bunting comes involved, they do have a bit of an issue. I think he's going to continue to send TA, and he's going to go over 20 and a half. I am also taking the over. I hope he can reach 30 steals this year uh, just to add more into his value. 
Um, but again, Zips is only projecting 21 stolen bases for Tim Anderson in, in 2019. I think part of it is he's got to get on base to steal, right? Uh, so that's another area that we have to focus yeah. on with Tim Anderson is how many opportunities will he give himself to steal bags? Now that's on the hitter side. Let's move over to the pitching side. And we're going to start with Carlos Rodon. And the number is 27 and a half. And this is the number of starts made by Carlos Rodon in 2019. This will be a big uptick in starts made by him, obviously because of injuries the last couple of years. So, Joe, do you think the White Sox can get a full year out of Carlos Rodon, or will it be more of the same and we'll see Rodon at some point on the injured list? Call me Missouri, the show me state. We've seen this once in four seasons. In 2016, he had 28 starts to just barely go over that 27 and a half. We all want to see it happen, but I need to see it. I'm going under. I have to go under 27 and a half here. And hopefully this isn't an issue again. I'm going to be the optimist. I think he'll get to 30 starts this year in 2019. So I'm going to take the over. Uh, Obviously on this show, we don't give too much credit to wins and losses uh, but I picked this one because it's kind of humorous. Uh, no White Sox pitcher is projected to win 10 games in 2019, <laughs> uh, according to Zips. Uh, the the leader is Ronaldo Lopez, and the over-under is 8.5 wins for Ronaldo Lopez. Are you going to take the over, or are you going to take the under on Ronaldo? What I, another thing I found interesting out in Vegas they posted some win totals for starting pitchers, and the only Sox player they put on the board was Rodon at eight and a half wins, the total that we have here for Ronaldo Lopez. And obviously things came back down to earth for Lopez after that April when he had a 178 ERA opponent hitting 204 in his five starts, and that was certainly expected, not a big surprise. Uh, but as far as Lopez here, A big part is health. It has to be. And you get 32 starts from him last year. In 2017, on multiple levels, he gave you 30 starts. In 2016, he did spend some time in the pen, but he gave you, uh, in mostly starts, over 30 appearances. He's a guy that's proven to be healthy. And Renteria and Cooper, if you're rolling, they're not going to pull you early. They're going to let you pitch. And he showed the ability to go well over the 100-pitch count multiple times during the season. So since it's a pitcher that's going to be healthy, the XFIP scares me. We saw him get hit apart a bunch, but he was able to get out of some jams. Not not a crazy strikeout rate, but I I think he's going to give you enough quality starts, and the White Sox are going to be a better team. So he's going to go over eight and a half. I agree with you. I think Lopez can get more than 10 wins. Somebody's got to get in the double-digit win total. (laughs) For the White Sox, even though wins don't really mean a whole lot. Uh, but if nobody gets the 10 wins, uh, that'll tell you how well 2019 is going for the White Sox. Uh, now, just like Yohan Mikata strikeouts, another alarming number from last year from one of the young White Sox players is Lucas Giolito and the walks that he allowed. And the over-under line is 66 and a half walks allowed by Lucas Giolito. Are you going with the over or the under on this total? This is a horrible number, Josh. This is horrible. <laughs> After 90 last year, 90, a walk rate of 11.6. And if you start to look at Giolito's numbers throughout his entire career, not that far off 
what he's done his entire life, 10.8% walk rate. So for the under to hit, it's got to go down at least 24 walks. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm going over 66 and a half. Yeah, I'm going over as well. It better not be 90 again. Because if it is, I've got to think this would be the last year the White Sox have him in the starting rotation with Michael Kopech being healthy and Dylan Cease being available and some very nice free agents also going to be available on the starting pitching front. You can't. No major league team can afford to have a starting pitcher walk that many guys. They just can't. So I'm also going to the over. I think it will be fewer than last year, but it will be more than 66.5 walks for Giolito in 2019. And then the last number, very similar to Elo Jimenez, this is Dylan Cease. And the number is five and a half. And this is the number of starts Dylan Cease will have with the White Sox in 2019. Are you going to go with the over or are you going to go with the under, Joe? Josh, of all eight props, I thought this was the most difficult one to make a call. So we know Cease is starting at AAA and Kopech in his two years or one plus year, I should say, in, in AAA, how they handled him is he had 27 starts for Charlotte. And if you would have stayed healthy at the very end of the season, we know that he would have gone over this number of five and a half. This is going to be really close because you can't have major setbacks. If he has a few very poor starts in a row, he might have a tough time getting to the major leagues. And then also you need to stay healthy pretty much throughout the entire season. I think for him to get over five and a half, I mean, I could see this going by a half a start one way or the other, but I'm going to say over five and a half and just barely. I'm going to go under. I think Dylan Cease is on an innings limit, like 150 to 106 innings total for 2019. And because of that innings limit, I think we'll see four starts from Dylan Cease in 2019. We may not see Cease until September. And I do think the White Sox will handle him differently after what they learned from Michael Kopech last year. And I can't blame him for that. The expectation is Dylan Cease is in the starting rotation in 2020. And I do not expect the White Sox to be a contending team in 2019. So that's why I'm going with the under. I think Cease will make six starts. And I don't really see Cease pitching more than five or six innings per appearance with the Charlotte Knights this year just so that he does have some innings available before the White Sox limit on him in 2019. And then we'll see how the innings limit will work for Cease in 2020 and beyond. But that's why I'm going to, I'm taking the under on five and a half starts, Joe. Uh, So so do you, that's interesting. Your comment about Kopech, about how they're going to handle these young starting pitchers moving forward. If that's going to affect things at all. Do you think that they pushed Kopech too much last year? I, I don't think they pushed him too much. I think what just hurt Kopech is what? His first three starts were a rain delay? I mean, the guy got ready to throw six, seven innings, and then he had to stop, and then they brought him back after a rain delay to get him some more innings, and I think that's what screwed everything up. It's just that he didn't have he didn't have normal appearances. He just didn't. He had terrible weather luck, and it just messed up with Kopech's preparing for a major league start, and he got hurt. It's incredibly bad luck, uh, but I do think 
there are lessons to be learned that it'd just be better off that, hey, rain delay does not matter. You are part of our future. You're not pitching anymore, even though you only threw an inning uh, because of an hour and a half rain delay. I, I think that's probably the more suited route the White Sox will take now, especially with Dylan Season, especially what they're learning from Dane Dunning at the moment as we still wait to hear what the verdict is about his pitching arm. I do think the White Sox will handle Cease differently than Kopech. It's fair to wonder with all of these guys. And sure, if you go on a case-by-case basis, there's been some bad luck and some of it just some dings. And, I mean, Jake Berger, how do you predict a guy's going to be walking around in his backyard and get injured in that manner? I I wonder internally at the organization going throughout all the levels if they're having conversations about changing things. Yeah, and, you know, maybe – who cares if they throw seven innings in Birmingham, right? It That doesn't matter. Save those innings. Yeah. Save the arm. Be as efficient as possible in five to six innings. You know that you're strong enough and you have the endurance to go longer. But, yeah, I, I do wonder if it's time for the White Sox to make some changes. We're starting to see it in the collegiate level, Joe. Some of the top pitching prospects in the college level are not going deep into games. And I think it's because college coaches are aware that there's millions of dollars on the line for this guy. And even though I'm getting paid money to win games, uh, I can't be selfish. And I also got to, you know, let other parents know that if you bring your son to me, uh, I will make sure he gets taken care of and gets drafted really high. And that also helps my win total as well. Uh, but that's the over-unders here. Uh, so, Joe, you seem pretty optimistic on, on a lot of them. You have only one <laughs> under, and, and that's on Carlos Rodon starts. And me, I am going under on the two guys we are most excited to see in 2019. And Eloy Jimenez's games played with the White Sox, and Dylan Cesis starts with the White Sox. optimistic because some of them were walks and strikeouts. Too. Well, yeah, some you're not others. optimistic on Mikata getting better <laughs> and Lucas Giolito getting better. <laughs> So when you add all that up, Joe, and you look at the White Sox win prediction, what, how many wins do you see the White Sox having in 2019? The White Sox, I, I think Vegas is right. The White Sox are the third best team in the American League Central. Uh, Vegas, a little more bullish than I am, but I, I see the White Sox making a nine-win jump up to 71. Okay, so there you go. So I, I think the White Sox will win 70 games this year. They'll be 70 and 92. So we're in the same boat. 70, 71 wins. So if you went to Vegas and you saw that White Sox win over total still at 74 and a half, you're going under as well. Under, 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 under. <laughs> the funny part of that is when that number was set, that was before the Makata, the Makata, before the Machado decision was made. So that was coming into play. And then after he decided to go to San Diego, I don't think it was adjusted properly. It should have been lowered a little bit more. Yeah, I think 72 and a half would definitely get more plays. If they dropped it by two games, I think that would entice more people to bet. But 74 and a half, I think all the money's got to be on the under. Yeah, agree 100%. Yeah, sorry for being a little pessimistic. But hey, again, I think the White Sox will win eight more games in 2019. Joe thinks to win nine more games in 2019. So that'll be more wins to talk about on this podcast and on the radio waves in Chicago. So that is a good thing. And hopefully it is building to better days in 2020 
and beyond. Again, you can listen to Joe. He's on Mully and Hall weekdays from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 670 to score. And do listen to his show, The Early Odds, on Saturday mornings. They talk everything across the sports landscape, especially from a betting point of view. So if you love making bets or just love listening to sports, Again, listen to Early Odds Saturday mornings on 670 The Score and wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, one of his, his podcasts is one of my favorites, so definitely tune in. And you can follow Joe on Twitter. He's at Joe0670. And Joe, as always, thanks for coming on the show, and I hope you make me some money with your over-under picks. Thank you, Josh. And I'm not just saying this for turning the favor. It's on one of my favorite podcasts, every Monday morning when I'm making the early trek to work, it's always sitting there for me. So uh, thank you, guys. No problem. Thank you. And coming up next, it's your guys' questions in P.O. Socks. Before we answer your questions in P.O. Socks, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And I use SeatGeek all of the time. I love using their app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I found to shop for tickets. And with the regular season coming up, it's starting next week, guys. If you want to head to Kansas City to watch the Chicago White Sox or even Cleveland, use SeatGeek to get those tickets on the road. But when the White Sox do come home for their home opening day, you could find great deals right now for opening day tickets on SeatGeek or even that opening weekend where you could find tickets as cheap as $37 right now on opening day and as cheap as 15 bucks. For the second game of that series, which is a Saturday, and they're giving away that sweet White Sox hoodie. So if you want White Sox tickets, use SeatGeek to get the best deals. And the best part is that our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox. We submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, liking our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Sox Machine, and helping support the show and the website on Patreon.com slash Sox Machine. We got a big boost of Patreon supporters this week as we have some awesome swag that is available for those that help support Sox Machine. We'll get to that in a moment. But rejoining me on the podcast to answer your questions, of course, is Jim Margulis. And Jim, the first question we have comes from our Patreon supporters. Actually, all of our questions this week come from Patreon. The first one comes from Eric Johnson. And Eric is asking you, Jim, with Eloy inevitably being called up this spring, 
Who's likely to be the odd man out, or do you think the White Sox carry one less pitcher to make room? Oh uh, well, first off, tip of the hat to James Fox at Future Sox uh, in in a in a Twitter thread. I think it was with uh, Keith Law. He mentioned and and Law verified it through his sources that. Uh, Eloy has to spend 20 days in the minors uh, because he starts the season on the 40-man roster. Uh, apparently, if you spend fewer than uh, 20 days in the minors while on the 40-man roster, it's treated as a full season. So instead of two weeks like we've been talking about this whole time or think it's been casually yeah. referred to, it's uh, more like three. Uh, so Damn that <laughs> rule to hell. Yeah, so you're basically looking at like, you know... Uh, April 20-something, uh, what was the series? Against... April 26th against Detroit. Yes. So that's the home series where they could generate a lot of excitement. So if we're thinking about that, if Eloy shakes off his spring doldrums and comes out raking at Charlotte and, and looks every bit as ready as he looked last year, uh, looking at April 26th, at that point, um, seven pitchers seems unlikely, one, because the White Sox have gotten so accustomed to carrying eight pitchers, but also it'll be the start of a stretch of 19 straight games. Uh, which makes it difficult. You know, maybe I could see them temporarily drawing it down and waiting for a rough game or two to force their hand. But um, based on the way they've carried eight starters or uh, eight eight relievers, and if uh, the rotation has a rough stretch where these relievers have been taxed, uh, I, I don't think that uh, they would dip into the bullpen to make room for Eloy. So at that point, um, you know, if eight pitchers and, and everybody's healthy, I think... Uh, you know, based on spring and options and, and everything like that, Daniel Polka would probably be the most vulnerable because he would be the outfielder uh, that would be replaced by Eloy. Uh, and, and then you'd have a bench of Leary and Jose Rondon and James McCann. If you're talking about a three-man bench, uh, and then that would be unfortunate, but I, I think that would be what happens. But I could also see a situation where, you know, either somebody gets hurt and makes room for him or, uh, you know, whether uh, they realize they don't really use Rondon or something like that. And maybe uh, they think that Paco would be a bigger threat off the bench and, and maybe they go with that route. But it would seem to be one of those two guys if that happens, uh, just because of how slim MLB benches are right now. Yeah, and Joe and I talked about this in over-unders. When the over-under for Elo Jimenez, I set it at 125 and a half games played. In 2019, I think that's a lot of games played, but I went with the under gym with 120 because I could see the possibility where the White Sox take their time now calling up Eloy because of the slow spring that he had and maybe giving him a whole month to get ready for the 2019 season, maybe join the White Sox sometime in early May. So great job by James to figure that out. Thank you for doing that to help educate everybody. But it is a bummer because we want to see Eloy Jimenez as soon as possible. And now it sounds like everyone's going to have to wait until the end of April before that happens, if not early May. And that just that's kind of a bummer, but that is reality. And again, like I said, damn the rule to hell. I guess the good news is that he misses the coldest weather. There you go. Yep. If you're looking for you know, <laughs> looking at a guy who has a lot of you know, nagging leg injuries over his history. Oh, true. That's, you know, uh, avoiding sprinting in, in 35 degree weather seems like a decent uh, silver lining. It's, it's not great, but at least it's uh, one thing he avoids. That's the optimism we're looking for, Jim. <laughs> you're welcome. Eric, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Azinrak, and Azinrak is asking which players facing roster crunches on other teams might the White Sox pick up between now and opening day? 
based on the, the composition of the White Sox roster, I don't know if they can really accommodate anybody. And, and looking at the out-of-options posts on MLB Trade Rumors, uh, a couple of names that jumped out to me. One was Dalton Pompey, the uh, Blue Jay center fielder who you know, was a top prospect, top 100 prospect at one point. Kind of fell off, but has a well-rounded set of skills and some speed and probably a better offensive player than Adam Engel without much of a defensive drop-off. But it seems like the Blue Jays are in a similar position and Pompey will at least get a chance to stick uh, in the in the majors. Uh, they have the time and lack of ambition to really give him a chance. So he's probably not uh, not there. Socrates Brito on Arizona is another one. I just like the name Socrates Brito. Uh, I would like <laughs> the... Uh, uh, yeah, to to reference uh, Socrates' friend Daryl, that tweet, that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, the Red Sox have three catchers uh, that are out of options, so I think it seems like something's got to give there. Uh, Christian Vasquez, uh, Sandy Leone, and uh, Blake Swihart, and it seemed like one of them would have to go, but I'm not sure who. Um, but you know, when you look at the White Sox roster and with Eloy being a threat to come up, you know, within uh, or by at the end of three weeks. And somebody having to go down who might be deserving of a spot and having so many guys, as we talked about earlier, who can be rotated through uh, the bullpen, seems like they don't really have many opportunities to give uh, playing time to uh, somebody else's uh, discarded players. And, um, you know, for instance, I was looking at, you know, Tommy Canely, who is somebody who might, he's out of options with the Yankees, didn't throw the ball well last year, throwing a bit better now, but still dealing with diminished velocity, uh, you know, I, normally I'd wonder if the White Sox would bring him back and try to nurse him back to health, but do they have the spot for him, especially if he's not throwing the ball well? And Luis Sesso is another guy from the Yankees who uh, I liked his stuff and just watching him, it seemed like he should have had better uh, numbers than he had. And he's somebody who is throwing his slider like 40% of the time. So it seems like he was really trying to make that pitch work for him. And, you know, I kind of like him as a breakout candidate, whether it's a, you know, fifth starter or you know, as a reliever, but, uh, you know, Yankees might give him a shot with especially a Severino out. So, uh, otherwise, when you look at relievers, you just wonder if it's like a Juan Manaya thing where, you know, I, I think entering the spring, if we heard that Juan Manaya was going to be uh, uh, put through waivers, we'd expect that another team would claim him. And then you realize that he was throwing the ball at craft. And so he, he gets through, uh, uh, you know, waivers and gets outrated and ends up in Charlotte. And so probably with a lot of these guys who are out of options and exposed, you know, you wonder if it's the same thing where they're just not throwing the ball well, something's wrong, uh, the stuff is down, and the White Sox just have a lot of guys who are better equipped to get major league hitters out. So it seems like I wouldn't expect much to happen with the White Sox when it comes to their 25 or 40-man roster, you know, through the end of March and maybe even through the end of April. As in rec, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Andrew Siegel. And Andrew is asking, who are your pleasant surprises this spring and whose performances have been disappointing? Well, pleasant surprises, uh, Tim Anderson and Yohan Mankata are, are performing well. Mankata's still got a lot of strikeouts, um, so that makes me a bit apprehensive to say anything's changed, but he has had some highlights from the right side, so he's got that going for him. So um, you, you'd like to see him performing well, especially... Uh, you know, Tim Anderson, the, the, the end of the season he had last year, just any kind of offensive resurgence is great. Even if there are some underlying things, you know, walks and strikeouts where you don't think it's a great bet to carry into April. Um, but when it comes to guys, I guess, who, um, you know, are, are making statements in spring training and, and, uh, kind of defining who they are, redefining who they are. Ryan Burr, we talked about him. Uh, it's nice to see him striking guys out with the Major League Baseball. So, you know, there's that. 
uh, Danny Mendick, who uh, I've, I would say, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that uh, I thought he was a top prospect, but somebody who's made himself interesting from the third day of the draft and has outperformed uh, expectations up the ladder and can play all the infield positions, doesn't really have a chief weakness. I've liked him as like an end of bench roster filler. And uh, when we talked about, say, like somebody like uh, Jose Rondon, who uh, might be on the roster because he's out of options, but then, you know, say if he goes through April and they're just not using him, you know, the, all the starters are getting uh, reps around the infield and they just really don't have a use for him. And they want to try sneaking him through uh, waivers. I could see Mandic being a nice uh, option as somebody who can fill in that spot. Um, James McCann, <laughs> he's having a nice spring. And I think, you know, he's, he's got an uphill battle to win the hearts and minds of, uh, White Sox fans just because, or at least, you know, I would say analytically minded White Sox fans because he doesn't really do anything well on paper aside from throw and Martin Maldonado getting a similar deal with the Kansas City Royals when he's superior, uh, comes to blocking and framing along with throwing. Um, it's nice to see him at least, uh, hitting for some power because I, I think he's had the league average bat before and, Maybe he can have it again, and if he does that, and if he you know, hits for some power and throws well and, and doesn't uh, leak strikes all over the place, you know, maybe he's a, a guy who can factor in uh, uh, to be like a, a semi-positive uh, player on the 25-man roster, so there's that. Uh, disappointments? Well, Eloy was underwhelming. Uh, Carson Fulmer's stuff doesn't look a whole lot different. Uh, he's His delivery does, and he's getting some strikeouts, but when it comes to the uh, fastball, it's still like 94. It's not quite 96, 97 coming out of the bullpen, which you'd hope for the curveball. Arizona messes with curveballs a bit, so it's going to be hard to tell right now, but not seeing a huge difference there. He's throwing his cutter, which he said he ditched, so he's been kind of confusing, and that's been a little bit disappointing. And then Nate Jones, he looks a little vulnerable. Um, he's giving up a lot of homers and, and loud contact. He's only throwing, uh, I think James Fegan said 94, 95 in that range, so given all the health trauma that he suffered over the last few years. It wouldn't surprise me if he's somebody who struggles to maintain his stuff, you know, going into his thirties. We'll see about James McCann. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if it, if it translates. I know a lot of people are happy with how he's performed this spring. I'm just, yeah, I think he's, you know, he's somebody who has an uphill climb ahead of him. So it's nice to see him at least introducing himself as well as he can in spring training. And hopefully that carries into April. Hopefully he's not batting cleanup in April. <laughs> True. If he is, there's a, there's a lot of things going wrong early in 2019. But Andrew, thank you so much for your question. And great questions from everyone this week on P.O. Sox. Thank you guys so much for submitting your questions. If you have a question or topic that you'd like us to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You could also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. And again, you can help support the show and the website by becoming a Patreon at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where we have several tiers which you could sign up for. And you get extra benefits like the ad-free podcast, ability to ask additional questions, to our guests and also in P.O. Socks, additional uh, Patreon-only posts on SocksMachine.com. As an example, Jim's Spoonerisms post that he had this weekend. And 
there are also some new tiers as well and the opportunity to get some pretty sweet swag. And Jim, do you want to help explain on how our listeners can get some of this sweet swag? Why, uh, why should I tell you when I can show you uh, through the magic of audio? <sighs> Pine glasses. Uh, beautiful design by uh, Billy O'K, Billy O'Keefe. Uh, put the logo onto a pint glass. I picked them up uh, this past week. Available in black and red. They're beautiful. Right now we're, uh, we've had a number of people who supported the Sox machine like above our $5 tier. I didn't have anything to offer them you know, above $5. So I kind of capped it at that. But some, you know, there were a handful of people that were very generous and uh, have supported the site for a long time above that $5 tier. And I was trying to think of what to, you know, provide for them and, and what could work and be generally popular and usable and pine glasses came to mind. And, uh, so far it's been pretty popular. So, uh, we do have a pint glass tier now. Uh, there are details now on our Patreon site. I'll be sending out the, uh, first round of pine glasses to the people who have been supporting us for a while at, uh, $10 and above. And, uh, That'll be the start of it. We'll have a few different, uh, I guess you call them premium gifts uh, as we uh, kind of roll out, um, you know, these products and, and, you know, work on developing a storefront. But for the time being, right now, they're Patreon exclusive and you can find out more about it on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash socks machine. Yeah. And people got some great stuff, shirts, stickers, magnets, and now... Coasters. Pint, yeah, coasters. Now pint glasses. Very, very awesome stuff. Billy, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for making us look good. And uh, Cindy Crawford's got nothing on you, Jim, with the audio. <sighs> I've been working on it. <laughs> I'm glad. I am glad. But again, if you want more from us, because if you like our work and you would like to help support us, again, Sign up at patreon.com slash machine to help support the podcast and the website. And that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. I want to thank our guest, Joe Ostrowski of 670 The Score, for coming on the show and helping us with some MLB futures bets for the upcoming 2019 season and also playing White Sox over-unders. Again, you guys can play White Sox over-unders on SoxMachine.com. The one that has the most correct guesses at the end of the year will get a Sox Machine swag package with an asterisk to be determined on what will be in it. But again, it's always fun to play. There will be a prize at the end of the year. We will let you know what is in that prize package. But to participate, again, go to SoxMachine.com, look for the over-unders post, and make your predictions for the upcoming season. The cutoff is going to be on opening day. So make sure you guys get these in by next Thursday. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to this show in a number of ways iTunes, which you can go to the iTunes store and search Sox Machine to subscribe there. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> 
Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.